If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This very interview took place live inside the Influencer Vault. If you want to learn more about becoming a member so that you can see the video of this interview and a lot more and be a part of weekly interviews that take place and have opportunities at your fingertips to speak, write, and be interviewed, go visit theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to get your free gift and then you'll uh, be directed to the website to learn more about the Influencer Vault. Hello, everybody. It's Corey Poirier, and we're back with the latest episode of the show. Really super excited and stoked to have a brand new guest with me today. So Rob Paulson, so excited to have you here today. And Rob, one of the things that we do that I think is probably a little different is rather than reading somebody's bio, we like to get the guests to tell us just a little bit about themselves. And we always say you never have to worry about how deep you go because we'll dive in deeper anyway. Uh, But can you just tell us a little bit about who Rob Paulson is? Well, Rob Paulson is uh, a, uh, a proud son of Detroit, Michigan, who found his way out to Los Angeles, California a zillion years ago, and has essentially found a way to make a living uh, as a blue collar worker in the dream factory, doing what got him in trouble in grade seven and finding people nice enough to pay him for it. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> no, um, I, uh, I uh, make my living. Uh, doing cartoon voices. So some of the people may recognize Yakko Warner from Animaniacs and Pinky from Pinky and the Brain and Raphael from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then Donatello from a later iteration on Nickelodeon. And I play a character called Carl Weezer on Jimmy Neutron and oh my God, all kinds of other things. I've done maybe 2,500 half hours of animation. Um, I was a singer first who became an actor only because... I was not able to fulfill my initial dream uh, of being a a hockey player for the Detroit Red Wings. I um, played hockey from the time I was very young and I got as far as uh, all through four years of high school, had a chance to play in college. And the first day of scrimmage in college, I got drilled by some kid from Manitoba who hit me so hard, totally clean, totally clean check. And I thought, okay, this kid did me a favor. I got no business going any further. Uh, I had neither the talent, temperament, nor dental insurance to make a nickel. So like, a, you know, any logical kid, you fall back on acting. And um, but I'll tell you what, I am now uh, 65 years old and I've been in L.A. for 
43, 43 years. And I am so unbelievably grateful for the opportunities that my work has afforded me. And, I, and we uh, uh, touched on this in our lovely chat before we pulled the trigger um, that uh, we both kind of uh, have a different view of the word luck. I believe that luck is when opportunity meets preparation and that the, the older I get, the more I understand uh, that we play a very important part in our own destinies. And I'm not interested in, you know, I, I don't want to, I shouldn't say not interested. I'm very interested. I don't want to co-op too much of your audience's time by going, you know, really existential. But uh, uh, the, the um, I'm able, I still work every day. Uh, Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, two shows which were very popular 25 years ago, are now back on Hulu because Mr. Spielberg, the king of Hollywood at 74 years old, 10 years older than I said, hey, you guys want to do this again? And it's a hit again. But in the interim, uh, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with stage three metastatic squamous cell carcinoma of the throat. I'm fine. The treatment was brutal. But I'll tell you what, my friend, now that I have had the experience of, of dealing with throat cancer, not hair cancer, not toe cancer, throat cancer. Trust me, the um, twisted cosmic irony was not lost on me, but precisely, Corey, because I had throat cancer, I am now in a position to help folks because when I literally or figuratively or virtually hold someone's hand and say, man, I get it, I really get it. And as a result of nice people like you who are driven to be kind and involved and explore and help and be examples of, of creativity and, and kindness, uh, I, I'm a spokesman a, a for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. I work on behalf of, of the American Cancer Society, et cetera, et cetera. And now when people watch the new episodes of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, and they might know somebody who's dealing with the same sort of cancer I did, they can say, hey, dad, that guy that we used to watch as a kid when I was a kid, now we're watching it with your grandkids. I know you're dealing with your own throat cancer, but this guy, Rob Paulson, who we just saw on Corey's show, listen to his voice, dad. He's already gone through tons of radiation and chemo, and he's back doing this gig. And he's different, but his voice is fine and he's cured. And so I'm in a position to do way more than just earn a living. And it are, it's people like you who inspire people like me to go there. So that's me in a nutshell. And I'm incredibly grateful for you taking the time to chat with me. Wow, well, I'm almost lost for words. And, uh, and that's not often for somebody who does interviews as frequently as I do. <laughs> um, so I wanna ask you, I mean, I, I'm very intuitive in terms of how I approach the show or get our listeners yeah. know that, that I kind of can go anywhere rather than having a format. Yeah. Uh, so, but one of the things you said there, Rob, that I want to touch on really quick is I want to get your take on this. You mentioned you're 65. You mentioned mm -hmm. Spielberg being 74. And one of the things I've noticed in thousands of interviews is the high achievers and, and we'll just, you know, the people that are uh, following their passion as well, yeah. don't typically retire at 
65, you know, that magical age that you're at right now. I'm sure you're not planning to retire in the next few months. So my question, Rob, is why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it is that, as you mentioned, Spielberg 74 is still asking questions about should we do the show? And you at 65 is still jumping back on to do the show again. Why do you think that is? Is it because you found your passion? It doesn't feel like work or what do you think the reason is that drives that? I think your assessment is spot on. And uh, I've had the great good fortune of working with Spielberg. This is the sixth time. The first time I worked with him was I did a bunch of background voices for a movie that at the time was called A Boy's Life. And it came to be known as E.T., the extraterrestrial. And then I worked with him on Amazing Stories and Tiny Toon Adventures and Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs and Freakazoid and now doing it again. Uh, and I had the great good fortune of getting to know Gordie Howe and Mr. and Mrs. Howe very well. I also work uh, very closely with David Copperfield. So there's a three people from very different uh, uh, professions who have achieved iconic superstar legendary status in their lifetimes. And to a person, they none of them needed the money after a certain point. David Copperfield is a billionaire, as is Mr. Spielberg. Gordy and Colleen were not, but Gordy was okay by the time he got to be my age. But Gordy and David and Mr. Spielberg uh, were all, are all incredible examples of how people at the top who are aware of their celebrity, the power of that celebrity, and more importantly, the example that they can set for anyone on how to behave and make it about someone else. And every one of them has found that they get more out of uh, their, their examples of kindness, professionalism, um, than buying another car another house, another jet. Uh, and I think that, yes, they are de deep, deeply passionate. I mean, David Copperfield does seven shows a week. He's a year older than I. He hasn't needed a dime for 30 years, but it's not about that. You hang out with him, he's like, Bobby, you gotta see this. Okay, the next time I'm gonna do this show, we're gonna treat, and it's gonna blow people's minds. Same with Steven. He says, oh, my God, I, I learned how to make dinosaurs a few years ago, but let me tell you what's coming up now. Or, hey, Rob, you want to do Pinky in the Brain again? And he's doing it because he can't not do it. Same with Mr. Howe. And this is a very important story for me to relate because it's I was there and I had gotten to know Gordy uh, because I played hockey and a bunch of charity events. And Gordy was very involved in children's charities and his grandkids loved Ninja Turtles when I met him. Um, but cut to a few years later, uh, I'd known them for probably four or five years. And Mr. and Mrs. Howe invited me to a uh, charity, uh, charity softball event in Vancouver uh, for Ninja Turtles and the kids hospitals. Okay. Um, and I learned in five seconds, what it's like and how to behave at a, at a very high level when you have achieved more than you could ever have dreamed 
and that you are grateful and that you are an example of that behavior. Gordy was probably 65, my age now. And at that age, had probably already signed, well, you're from Canada, literally a million autographs. Mr. Hockey, Wayne Gretzky's hero. Okay, a, to be sure, living legend. Um, I was sitting next to Gordy, signing my little turtle pictures, and Gordy was signing everything that wasn't nailed down. And a young man about my age, I was maybe 32 at the time, gentleman walked up and gave Gordy a puck and Gordy signed it. And the gentleman had been waiting in line for over an hour and said, oh gosh, thank you so much, Mr. Howe. I really appreciate this. Your hand must be getting tired. And this is in five seconds, Corey, where, where uh, Gordy went from being my idol to my hero. And there is a distinct difference. Gordy put his Sharpie down and he looked at that young man and he said, it's my pleasure, son. I've worked too hard for this privilege. He still was the Saskatchewan farm boy. He still was the guy whose signing bonus in 1948 was a Red Wings jacket. He still knew that he was essentially, be, he, no, not essentially, he was a legend because he was successful doing something he would have done for free. And so now he took every opportunity to make it about the other person to say, no, no, thank you. I'm not here without you. I've worked hard for this, not even opportunity, privilege. And Mr. Spielberg, same thing. When we did the launch party for Animaniacs in 1993, we did it at the foot of the water tower on the Warner Brothers lot and everybody's having a blast and Mr. Spielberg comes down and he knows when he gets to an event like that, what his presence means. So instead of being, um, oh yeah, hi, yeah, whatever. Yeah, are we done yet? He knows that it's about making everyone else comfortable with him being there. So he comes up to me like everyone else and takes a few moments to say, Rob, God, let me tell you, I, that song where you sing United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, we just, oh my God, Rob, we're so, so thrilled. And he did that to all of us. Okay. Then he takes it one step further. I was with my son who was eight at the time. And he takes it upon himself to say, is this your boy? I said, it is Mr. Spielberg. Um, he said, do you mind if we get a picture together? Now that immediately, and look at your smiling. I'm the same way. I, I, I've told that story, the same with Gordy, hundreds of times, because it illustrates what great people do with the power, whether it's perceived or not, that they, they understand that they also have an opportunity to show people how to behave. And, and uh, that people who could behave any way they want choose to be decent. They choose to be kind. So he takes the onus off my shoulder because he knows I want a picture with my kid and Steven Spielberg. So instead of saying, um, uh, all right, I bet you want a picture. He says, do you mind if we get a picture? That is such a wonderful thing to be able to relate to people like you who are in the business of, 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 of um, cultivating that ethos. And uh, so that is a very long roundabout way of saying they live their lives in utter joy and gratitude. They just do. And boy, what an example, incredible.
Well, I love what you said there too. Um, before I move into a different direction, Rob, I love what you said there about the idea of they would do it for free and they're just blown away that they get paid to do it. Because when people years ago, when I was first starting in speaking, and I say, shouldn't say first starting, but five years in, and I was getting paid decent for a talk, but to some clients, it was like, oh, you're not charging enough. And other clients, like this is the way it always is, right? Then other clients yeah. are like, you want how much to come and speak for 45 minutes? Yeah. And I'll tell you what I used to say to people. And it wasn't meant to be like, a, it wasn't meant to be a rude response because obviously money, you know, that is a serious thing. And I understand yeah. somebody has a budget, but they would say, you want how much to show up and speak and blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, well, I'll be honest with you. I would speak for free. And I'll sh and the truth is, if you can somehow get me to your stage without me having to do anything to get there, I'll speak for free. Yeah, done. But the challenge that we both have is I have to fly across the country, leave my children, deal with the airports, deal with the misflight, deal with, and on and on and on to get here. So what you're paying me for actually is all that stuff. And yeah. what you're also paying me for is the 15 years or whatever the number is of experience. So in that case, probably five years of getting to where I am. Because if you hired me whenever I was just starting, even if you're paying 50 bucks, it was probably too much. So you're getting the five years of cumulative experience I have. So you're getting, you're paying for the experience and you're paying for me to travel. But when I get on that stage, I'm doing that for free. My belief is Aerosmith is performing for free. Why they're getting paid big money is because they have to travel in a, a truck across the country, lose sleep, probably get divorced in some, I'm not talking Aerosmith, but some artists, you know, and, and people that travel that much get divorced because of the relationship, they can't give the time to it. To me, that's, that's really what you're paying the person for. And I don't want that again to be in a rude way, but it's to exemplify the fact that most of the people I know, when they get on the stage, that part in their mind, I'm doing this for free. In fact, One, I'd probably pay you to do it. 100%. In fact, I tell people all the time, uh, you know, if you look up my IMDB page, it's really long. And that's, I mean, I don't even know how to tell you how grateful I am for the fact that I can buy toilet paper and dog food and braces doing something I would do for free. What I'm paid for, if I've done 2,500 half hours of animation and all this other stuff, that means I've auditioned for 5,000 that I didn't get. And so that's what I'm paid for. I'm paid for all the time that I drove to a place three or four times, went to a callback four times and didn't get it. So when I'm at work, they have to shut me up because I, we're having, I'm with people who are the most gifted actors in the world, wonderful composers, wonderful singers. We've all won Emmys. We work with Steven freaking Spielberg and we get paid really well. I am having as much fun with you right now as I am when I'm going to go to work later today and do an episode of Pinking the Brain because I've made a new friend who is cut from precisely the same uh, cloth as I, and you inspire me to want to take my speaking engagements to a higher level because look, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. No kidding. But I agree with you. I, I don't, the Jones to perform and create and now to help and be informative vis-a-vis -vis throat cancer because I'm an expert now, that Jones to create is no different, I promise you, Corey, from when I was 10 years old to 65 at this moment. Um, to the extent that you and your uh, viewers um, look at me and say, wow, the guy seems to really be into it. I am. It is utterly authentic. And you're the same way. It, it is not contrived. 
it is almost chemical uh, that just like the gentleman we referred to earlier, I can't not do it. And I am, like I say, I'm a blue collar worker of the dream factory and I'm pretty damn grateful to be such. Well, you know, there's still a couple of other areas I want to dive into. And one of them is, so <clears throat> of course, I, I always think about this, like the voiceover actor versus the traditional actor on the screen is like, so for me, I'll speak from my, my perspective, explain where my context is coming from. But yeah. as a musician and as a, I used to perform stand-up and used to perform stage plays. But when I first, first started, I didn't want to be on the stage at all. I wanted to be the writer. I wanted to be able to create this stuff. But I found that it, because a lot of stuff I was doing was solo stuff, if I created it, if I brought somebody else on to do it, like your stand-up comic, if you brought somebody else to deliver your jokes, they're going to do it a different way. But right. I originally, I wanted to just be, not just, I wanted to be the person that was creating all this stuff. And so I'm curious, when it comes to acting versus voiceover acting, did you have a conscious decision that you want to go into one versus the other? And at the same time, um, can, so there's two questions in one, I guess, but can you tell us what the audition process is like? Because I feel like that's something I never even thought about was auditioning for voiceover. I, I don't even know how I thought people would say that's the person for the voice of Donatello. So yeah. I guess it's two yeah. questions in one. But Yeah, well, like virtually everyone who does this gig, um, Nancy Cartwright, who's Bart Simpson, or uh, uh, Billy West from Fry on Futurama, or uh, my friend the brain, Maurice LaMarche from Timmins, Ontario, um, stand up. Uh, we, uh, in my case, I had a live performance background. I was a singer who became an actor and did lots of stage around uh, the United States and, and Canada, um, and then moved to LA uh, to ply my trade in the, the usual way. That is, Mind you, it was 1978. So uh, I came out here to do music, TV, commercials, whatever, to get my, with an eye on probably doing features or television. That's what we did. Uh, however, this is where I love, uh, again, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. I, uh, in the mid eighties, I was, I'd done uh, St. Elsewhere and Hill Street and, uh, MacGyver and amazing story, television, normal stuff, pile of commercials on camera. And my agent called and said, have you ever considered doing animation? I said, of course, uh, I love cart. I mean, who doesn't love cartoons? But in those days, cartoons were relegated primarily to the three major networks and no video games, no DVDs, no, you know, cartoon, none of that, cartoon network, none of that. And a handful of actors, uh, Took care of all of it, you know, Mel Blanc and June Foray and the uh, Dawes Butler and the people who did Flintstones. It was literally a handful of, of people because there wasn't as much product, but things were starting to explode. And my agent called and said, uh, Marvel is doing a, a production, uh, a new animated show called G.I. Joe. And then they're doing another one called Transformers, um, which was, of course, based on the toys and all this. And we, of course, know what they came to be. So I said, of course. And I auditioned just like any other acting job, except they don't care what you look like. And let me tell you, you're a performer to not be typed by being an average looking failed hockey player from Michigan uh, was a huge boon to me because when I would go to read for a part on Hill Street, I might be, okay, you're a young guy who's, you know, gone the wrong way and he's a junkie and he's a 28 year old junkie and I walk into the room at NBC and there are 50 guys in the waiting room who could, could all be a cousin or a brother 
we're all the same age, the same height within a few inches, you know. And so it's first, it, it's first about your type. But when I walked into the first cartoon I ever did, which was G.I. Joe, I saw actors whom I recognized from episodic television growing up in the 80s. Oh my God, I saw that guy on uh, Three's Company. That guy was on um, F Troop or that guy was on Lost in Space, you know? Um, and none of them were concerned about how they looked. It didn't matter if they were tall, short, thin, heavy, white, black, green, orange, didn't matter. It was the purest form of acting, literally like being kids where you say, okay, I'm gonna be the monster and you're gonna be the hero that kills the monster. That's what it was. And they were old enough to be my parents. They were getting paid well. They were utterly creative. And they, and, and they were doing characters that, that they never would have been considered for on camera. So I did it. I left going, oh my God, this is the gig. So I called my agent and said, look, I, I wanna do it all. But if more of this comes up, I'm in. Then people started finding out that I could sing. Then they started finding out that I could sing in character, that I could do dialects and tweak it and then sing badly in character if it worked for the character um, and that I wasn't afraid to play. And now, I'm sorry, at about four or five years of this, I said, okay, I'm not even gonna worry about on camera anymore because I'm making a nice living. I'm getting to work every day and no one cares what I look like. I'm limited only by my creativity and the kindness of people to hire me. And, and now at 65, still no one cares what I look like. Now I'm an old failed hockey player from Michigan and nobody cares what I look like. As long as I can do this or this, I can talk all day long is whatever the character needs to be. And then we have incredibly gifted artists and writers and man, I don't draw them and I don't write them, but I'm really glad that I chose this route because um, while my celebrity is tangential, it's the characters that are famous, not Rob Paulson, but because I provide this, the soul and the voice of the character, I have the most glorious opportunity virtually daily to bring instant joy to someone who either recognizes me or they're wearing a Ninja Turtles t-shirt. And I'll, I'll say, you know, I hate to bother you, but, and it doesn't take them long to go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Let me show you as a kid, how I dressed up. This is my kid now as Ninja Turtles. Would you mind doing the voice? Sure. Turtle power. Oh my God. And it happens every day. And I would much prefer this than just saying, hey, I saw you in, who's cooking the soup? I, I love the experience uh, from both sides of what I do. And as I mentioned, in terms of the auditioning, it really is no different than any other acting job. Uh, you get the script, you look at it, you make some decisions. In the audition, the, the director will give you a little tweak and say, hey, I really liked a lot of that, um, Corey. Could you do a little more of this? Or actually, there was something you did in the second take, Corey. I'm not so crazy about that. But if you would take part of that and, and do what you just did, I'd like to hear you do that. That's how it works. Um, and then you get the gig and people ask you to sing and make silly noises. And uh, then I get to meet my new friend, Corey, and the rest is it. so easy. Easy. <laughs> so I, I get each, each thing you share makes me more curious down the rabbit hole. So when you talked about uh, you know, show up and um, 
and for the audition, for instance, and they'll say, try a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. I mean, I want to ask you, which I think you kind of covered earlier, did you, were you practicing voices or do it? How did, like, how did you know you had this ability while you were acting? And was it part of what, you know, you, I'm going to say, using your craft as an actor, but then I'm also curious, when you said about the additions, do they, how, like, how do you know, this, this, this just popped in my head a second ago, but how do you know what voice to pick? Like, do they say the voice should be like this or do you go, here's what I'm going to try. And do they go, this is the person because they picked the right voice. Like, I'm curious who decides right. what Pinky's voice is supposed to sound like is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, then my answer is yes. All of the above. Uh, often you will get some information that says, here's the prototype. We really like, we really like Edwin. We want the character to be, like the guy in Mary Poppins who says, let's go fly a kite, you know. Well, okay, that's easy to get your head around, you know, and, and that's a prototype. <clears throat> or they'll literally say, we'll know it when we hear it, which to some actors goes, well, Jesus, you can't give me a direction. I look at that as an opportunity. I look at that and say, holy crap, they don't know what they want. Well, I don't, I'm going to show them what they want. And that gives me an opportunity to do two things. A, try to dazzle them and B, even if I don't get the job, I can still dazzle them. And they'll say, you know, Rob, you weren't right for what we were brought you in for. You had some great ideas, but just didn't work. We decided to go another way, but man, were you thinking, and we've got something else for you now. Try this or remember that thing you did a year ago. And I said, gosh, I don't, well, we do. We've got it on tape here or deep, whatever uh, a link. And Oh yeah, I'll share that. Yeah. And you do it, they go, oh my God, that works great. So it's an opportunity to either get a job or get a future job and red flag yourself. So they say, man, this guy, Corey is really sharp. Moreover, he was not afraid to play when we said, that's interesting, but we've kind of heard that today. What else have you got, Corey? And you said, oh, well, I'm glad you told me. Now I know not to do that. I got a couple of other things in my bag of tricks. Um, and so what generally happens is, again, they'll give you like a, a several different angles of what a character looks like. They'll give you a little backstory about how this character interacts and relates to other characters in the story um, and, and say, uh, uh, maybe there's an idea that we have. Would you incorporate that into your audition? Then inevitably, great, we got that. What have you got? Have you got anything you'd like to share? And of course you can say, you know, I, I think I've done my best. Great. Or you can say, oh, am I glad you asked? Frankly, you're going to have to kick me out of here because I got so many ideas. And that I've found is what producers and writers and, and directors like is because they want you to be good. They want you to save their ass. They want you to solve their problem in casting. So if they're nice enough to open that door and say, you know, we're open to your suggestions, might they, might they be wrong? Of course, but they might be right. And at the very least, you leave them with a, with a guy who is willing to play, jump in with both feet, is directable, is a nice guy, is funny and the kind of guy that you say, wow, I'd like to find a way to hire this guy because he's, he's a good guy to hang out with. You know, it's a, 
when you when you're spending a hundred million bucks of someone else's money, you don't want to do it with people who are a pain in the ass. So that if it's just human nature, if you've got two people, Corey and Rob, who are both really skilled and have a ton of talent, but Corey is so easy to deal with, and Rob was just kind of. I don't know. He had a surly vibe about him and he kind of was arrogant because, you know, hey, man, I want an Emmy. I think we're going to go with Corey. He's a whole lot easier to work with and he does the job great. So that's how I look at that, at those circumstances. And then once you get the gig, the producers and directors are very involved in helping you find the character, uh, finding the soul of the character. And uh, and I have to tell you that when it works uh, with the artwork, the writing, in the in the case of Animaniacs, the music, uh, it's seamless, and then it becomes um, iconic. It becomes something you can watch Bugs Bunny forever. Bugs is eighty; doesn't matter. You can watch it forever because it's seamless and it works so beautifully. And in answer to another part of the question, I've been doing voices, cartoon voices, imitating, creating my own stuff, singing. Uh, popular songs as characters for the very same reason that Steven Spielberg got an eight millimeter camera and started making movies in the backyard because it made my soul happy. There was no money involved. And you know, nobody starts to be an actor to say, I'm going to make a lot of money. They hope they do. But I would challenge you to find anybody who has become an actor because their parents forced them at gunpoint to do it. Often people become artists, creators, public speakers, things that are driven by passion simply because they can't imagine doing anything else, even if it breaks their parents' heart, even if they lose a relationship that's precious to them. You even said it, even if they end up getting a divorce, because that power, that, that excitement to perform is so uh, deeply ingrained from the time they've been quite young. I feel like I won the lottery because I knew very young, not that I was going to make a living at it, but how much I enjoyed it. And so again, circling back to luck is when opportunity meets preparation. When I got the call to, to audition for Animaniacs, I was 36 years old. I had been singing and creating since the time I was eight or nine. Uh, first for your family, then your friends, then you get involved in school and you blah, blah, blah. And, you, and then I'd make my way to Hollywood and I've already done some animation and I've worked with these people. And all of a sudden you're going, oh my God, this is my pitch. This is the opportunity. I am so prepared. And then you think I'm fixing to get lucky. All I got to do is show these people how good I am to make it impossible for them not to hire me. And this is me getting lucky. This is me going, I've driven to California. I broke my mother's heart, my dad, you know, all of that. But I'm here, I'm figuring it out and I am ready for this opportunity. And the rest was for me history and it changed my life because I got to work on a project at a very high level with a full Hollywood orchestra with the king of Hollywood running the show and all that came with that set me up to be in a position now where I have a large, incredibly large fan base 
not so much for Rob Paulson, but there's a pretty much nowhere I can go in your country or mine where if I talk to just about anybody, they wouldn't know at least one character that I've done where they would say, oh my God, I've got my kids Ninja Turtle bedsheets or Animaniacs. You should see the birthday cake I had when I was 15 or Pinky and the Brain. Oh my God, my wife calls me Pinky and I call her the brain all the time. And that's what happens when you get lucky. Amazing. So Rob, I have about probably four minutes left and I have one question left. Sure. Um, outside of, you know, people, I mean, I was going to ask you, I usually like to finish asking people uh, how we can learn more, how we can follow them. But of course, I know with the work you're doing, uh, it's pretty much turn on the television, you know, and, and yeah. you can go to follow them. So I don't know if there's anything you want to share as far as what you have coming up or anything. But the one thing I want to ask you as the final question is I want to circle back and, and I, I'd love to call us the to be continue because I barely scratched the surface here. Oh, well, I also had no trouble. You know, you got to shut me up. Once you get me started, I have trouble shutting up. No, it's, it's all good. I mean, it's so much. I, I, yeah, like I said, there's so many, I call it the rabbit holes, but there's so many rabbit holes I could have went down today. But the one thing I want to ask you about, because I know you're passionate about it, is can you share with us, if something comes to mind or if something maybe you share when you go to help other people or talk to other people, when it comes to throat cancer, mm -hmm. what is, is there a life lesson or two that you oh. really learn from this that you share with people on a regular basis? Yes, and thank you for asking. In fact, I wrote a book called Voice Lessons, um, how a couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky and an Animaniac saved my life. Um, I did a TED talk. Uh, we discussed this earlier. And folk, in fact, folks can watch it uh, in Detroit. They were kind enough to ask me to come to back to my hometown. Um, and it's on YouTube, just TEDx Rob Paulson, in which I discuss my throat cancer and the extent to which joy, kindness, empathy, courage, uh, like love, come often from the most unexpected places. And when I was going through my throat cancer circumstance, uh, what I was able to draw on that really helped me get through it was two very important things. As a result of this wonderful career, um, I and people who do this gig are asked all the time to call people, whether it's, hey, man, my friend Corey loves Animaniacs. Would you just call him and say, hello, Corey, happy birthday? Or my little girl uh, has a glioblastoma and she's eight and she loves Yakko. Uh, and I'll get a call from Make-A-Wish or you know, whatever. And I have done that hundreds of times. And that's when you see what real courage is about. When you get a chance to talk, you have children. My son has grown. But I would often, either in person or be on the phone with a young boy or girl whose parents knew, Corey, that they were on their way out. They knew it. And they, they gave me the privilege of being involved in the most intimate, difficult circumstance any parent can ever even imagine. And I was one of the people they called, whether it's my friend Tom Kenny, who's SpongeBob or whatever, I'm one of the people that are called to say, can you bring a little bit of joy to my baby girl? 
Jesus Christ, Corey, can you even imagine what that means? So I had that opportunity over and over and over again. It made me a better father. It made me more empathic. Then when I got thrown my curveball at 59 and the doctor said, look, here's the deal. We can cure you. But before we do, we almost have to kill you. It's a tough treatment for obvious reasons, you know, radiation, throat, all that. But I'd already had a marvelous life. I, 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 I had a career that's by any measure wonderful, a wonderful son. I've been married to the same woman for 35 years who's took such good care of me, all of that. But I got to have the experience of watching what real courage is about, what real loss and how people move through that is about. And all those characters that helped those people were right here in my cabeza. And here's what happened. What, when I was diagnosed, I'm in the room in which I remember getting that phone call from my ear, nose and throat doc. And he said, how are you feeling, Rob? And I said, well, I don't know, how am I? And he just gotten the test results back. He said, well, it's cancer. Now we're gonna move forward. And the first thing that popped into my head was I live in Los Angeles County, the most populated county in North America. And at this moment, someone's getting the call about their five-year-old. Someone's getting a call about a 28-year-old mother who has a two-year-old who was just diagnosed with ovarian cancer or a, a father who has a brain tumor and probably won't live to see his kids. That's happening right now. And that was the first thing that popped into my head. And do you know that when the parents of many of those children found out what I was going through, they would send me pictures and they would call me and send me emails through my publicist or my agent and say, here's a video of you talking to Jennifer. She's gone now. She finally lost her battle with cystic fibrosis, but you will never know what Raphael meant to Jennifer. And we watched Ninja Turtles every year on her birthday. She would have been 28. Mr. Paulson, we just want you to know that not only are we pulling for you, praying for you, but you have those characters right inside you. You know what turtle power is like. You know the power of joy when you sing, Tunisia, Morocco, Uganda, Angola, Zimbabwe, Djibouti, Botswana. You have that in there. And we're here to tell you, to remind you that you can do that for yourself. And so that's why my cancer story is important. We never know when as a result of your kindness, Corey, to have me on, someone will see this exchange and be able to use it to help them through something that is before they saw you was seemingly impossible, but somehow they will watch our exchange. Again, this is because of you and, and they will sit back and go, wow, there really are no accidents. How on earth did I find a way to, che to, to check this out today just when I needed it. Um, and that's what happened to me. So I, I'm the very grateful one. And a friend of mine once said, I worked too hard for this privilege. And so thank you, but it's, it has been an extreme privilege.
The feeling is a thousand percent mutual, my friend. If you can, if you can go more than a hundred percent, it's more than a hundred. So it's a thousand percent mutual. And like I said, with your permission, I'll call it to be continued and Please. bring you back on uh, in the coming months because I feel like there's so much more we could go, you know, direction wise. I went a little oh. longer than today than normal, and no regrets. So thank my you. My great me. pleasure, buddy. Thank you, and thank your listeners so much. And I always like to leave people with the following. And that is that laughter is the best medicine. The cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. So <laughs> go ahead, laugh from I, your every day. I love it, Rob Paulson. An absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you and keep doing the great work you're doing and we'll keep doing the work we can do to wave the flag for all that great work. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Again, this interview was from theinfluencervault.com. Come and join us as a member inside the Influencer Vault to see how we can help you up-level your game, become an expert sooner, and become an influencer today rather than tomorrow. Again, theinfluencervault.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.